Hey, what's up, nerds? It's October 13th, 2017. And this is episode 14 of Book Nerds. The read-along podcast where we pick a book and read about 150 pages a week, discussing things as we go until we're finished. Then we pick another book and do it all over again. I'm Matt Shabodi. And I'm Danielle Bryan. And this week, we're discussing pages 325 through the end of What Happened by Hillary Rodham Clinton. But first, hey, Matt, what you reading? I finally got some new reading in. I got What Happened finished this week, and I have been loving the spooky, spooky Halloween vibes. So I've started The Troop by Nick Cutter which so far is fantastic. I um, have that on a list. Yeah, oh, tell me so, about it. It's so good. It's like, you know, a scoutmaster takes a troop of Boy Scouts to a remote island off the coast of Canada, and they meet up with a emaciated, frantic, starving, frenzied, hungry husk of a man who may or may not be infected with something, and horror Ooh. transpires from there. But it's, oh, God. it is such a good mix of like, really interesting characters in the scouts and very stand by me Stephen King-esque in that regard but then mm. Cutter's description and his language is just blood curdling and gross at times I love it it's so good <laughs> um, it's definitely feeling good for Halloween and then I also started Final Girls by Riley Sager which I think was a book of the month pick maybe a month or two ago um, sort of coming off the heels of our head full of ghosts, talking about the idea of the final girls. And this one's about a girl who has survived a massacre and has kind of met up with two other girls who are also survivors of similar creepy serial killer massacre type events. Um, and one of them has suddenly committed suicide, or so it seems. So it's unfolding from there. Not so sure how into that one I am. It's kind of slow and I may abandon it and just stick with the troop. But your reading is dark right now. Yeah, it's it's October. It's Halloween. Yeah, it's it's time it. to like I can it's get chilly. into those grooves for a while. And uh what actually what kicked it all off was I watched the Netflix adaptation of Gerald's Game by Stephen King, which I had never read that book and I don't even know that one. Oh, it's it's good. It's creepy. Like and intense. Is all I'll say. Um, is it's it a not, series or just a no? Movie? It's just, it's a one-off movie. Um, the performances are amazing. It's very psychological horror. It gets not slashery, but I think because of that, it's even more disturbing. Ooh, I'm gonna watch it. Yeah, it's it's good. I'm kind of still with you. I am still making my way through the 44 hours of it. <laughs> so. Dang. Like, talk about, he does not skip, like, Stephen King does not skip any backstory in that. Like, that's why it's so fucking long. Like, and I appreciate it, because instead of just saying, here's a character and bringing them in, he'll devote, like, a good hour to, like, that character's growing up and some backstory and things that happened in their youth, and then you move forward. So, that's super creepy. I think I have uh, 30, I think I'm 10 hours in. So I've got like 34 hours to go. You need to plan like a road trip or something. Well, it got like there was a section where they were kind of, again, I'm I'm really wanting them to be adults because when they're talking about, uh, you know, the scary clown, like killing all the children, I, I once again have that filter problem. 
So I just like, oh, get through it, get through it, get through it. It's not real. It's not real. There's no such thing as a demonic clown. Like this could never happen. Mm-hmm. These are real parents. Uh, yeah. So I just have to like get through, get through, get through. So we'll see. I can't decide if it's enjoyable or not, honestly. Um, but for my, so remember I have a real life book club yes. that meets like every two months. So we have a meeting next week and we are reading Behold the Dreamers by Mbolo Mabue. And that was an Oprah book. And I know some people hate that, but whatever. Think what you want about Oprah. She reads good books. So I'm all about it. I don't mind at all. And it's a really easy read. And it's about um, an immigrant couple from Cameroon trying to get their legal status in as American citizens. And they live in New York City. And the husband is a chauffeur driver for one of the top executives at Lehman Brothers right before Hmm. the crash. So it's really interesting to see how that, to have that crash be such like, you know, it's almost like a character in the book, but how it affects the people, which I'm not doing a very good job of selling it, but they're really just like kind, human, easily understandable people. You just like them so much. And it is an easy, quick read. Like it could get so bogged down by all, you know, the heavy lifting it's trying to do, but it's not. I think it kind of tricks you into um, the depth of empathy that it pulls out when you read the book. So <laughs> now you care about other people. Ha ha suckers. So yeah, I recommend it. I'm not done with it, but I'm like 65% done. Thank you, Kindle. So I like it thus far. Awesome. Well, speaking of empathy, let's, let's delve back into what happened. Ugh. Ugh. I still finished didn't this. Win. I know. I finished this at an airport in Michigan, which I think is kind of brave that I was reading it there. Um, but then, oh, God, even that last chapter where she's like trying to inspire us to move forward. and I was crying at the airport and then I felt stupid and I had to put it away. But it was just it's still this book broke my heart a little bit. Yeah, it still hurts. I think I don't know. I the only way I could deal with it was to turn to humor. So I have my list of alternate titles for the book. Ooh, let's hear it. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> because while it, while it did get into what happened, I feel like Screwed Six Ways from Sunday would have been an appropriate <laughs> title for this book. I like it. Because it, it just like any, I mean, like literally any one of these things that happen, you take out like one of them and it would have made the difference. But it's just like there were so many, di- like Russia, Comey, media not paying attention voter suppression like just people i don't know i just want something different i've heard her name too much like to just downright you know misogyny good old the good old-fashioned m card like i think any one of those things change and it would have made the difference but so many shitty shitty things all coalescing at the same time there were actually six in your list too very good but yeah i think other other titles i would go with was I was talking about it. Y'all weren't listening. Good one. And folksy. I, I think She's like reaching out to the people folksy, with the y'all. Yep. Get, getting that. Um, and that Trump's stupid. Russia's scary. That this like, I mean, I knew like, okay, Russia's creepy, but the more you get into it and having a little bit of like, I don't have the brain power to follow everything, nor was I secretary of state to have the understanding of global politics. But damn, they, uh, they're some dirty, dirty dogs. Yeah, and how, like, the scariest dude in the world after, you know, Kim Jong-un, but uh, 
hates her. Like, yeah. I think she's brave to want to run for. I would want to go hide. He poisons everybody. Yeah, man. Russia's freaking scary. And then my last title. Fuck you, Comey. Oh, I think that's the winner. Yeah, I think so. It just cuts right to the chase. Like, well, and I mean, of all of the things that made the difference, and she makes the case pretty clearly, I think, that that tipped the scales. Like in that 11th hour being like, oh, but wait, she might still be a criminal. Like, I don't know. Blah. Yeah, after she fought through Russia, fought through the media, fought through voter suppression, fought for the people that just want it through the people that just want to blow it up. Yeah. Got through the misogyny, all those things. She's like, oh, God, I just clawed through. I still have that four point lead. I'm just going to make it. And then he's like, emails. Oh, but wait. And, and simultaneously, he's like, but I'm not at liberty to discuss an ongoing investigation about the Trump campaign. Yeah, doesn't even bring up that there is one. So he follows protocol for fucking Trump and Russia, but for bullshit email. Oh, my God. Did you see? I need to look up what the title is. Have you seen the documentary? Um, about Anthony Weiner. No. It's so exceptionally good. And Huma is very uh, prominent in it, of course. So when they made the documentary, and I'll find it and we'll put a link. I'm pretty sure it was on Netflix. It's probably just called Weiner. I don't know. Um, you see him recovering from like his first scandal. And honestly, like he's speaking. And I was like, oh, you know, like I learned about him kind of as a joke, but he's a really passionate, astute politician. I really like the things he's talking about. You see Huma being really supportive. And what they thought was a documentary that was just going to be about his return from the first scandal. Then like the second, you know, the dude in the dick pics, like the second scandal comes out while they're filming it. And then it just all goes to shit. So they thought it'd be like the rise from the ashes. And then it's really just like the downfall of him. So seeing that happen and how it affects Huma throughout the whole documentary. It's so, it's really, really good. It's really painful to watch. Um, Those are the best documentaries that you, someone set out to capture one thing and then just like as it unfolds, it becomes something completely different. Yeah. And this is exactly like that. And it just made me, oh, I just like felt for her when they were talking about just his fucking computer and the email coming back again. And when she was just like, that man will be the death of me and just start sobbing. I was like, oh, she thinks that the whole election's her fault because her husband is an asshole. Oh, that sucked. But it wasn't you, Huma. It was Comey. Yeah, no doubt. You, you don't take that on you. No, that was not your, that was not your burden to you've, carry. You've got enough burdens. And she's like a smart, wonderful, you know, trusted, not ally, associate. What do you call it? Advisor. For Hillary. So, yeah, she did a great job. She got hosed, too. Yeah, and I think Hillary mentions that in the book, that she felt just so bad about it. And Hillary was like, no, it's you're good. <laughs> it's not on you. Yeah. And, and, I, and good on fired. her for not, like, everyone was suggesting her to that Hillary distance herself from Huma or, you know, kind of push her to the side. And I say good on Hill for sticking to her guns and saying, like, no, I'm not going to. This is one of my trusted advisors and a good friend. I'm not going to just separate myself from her for political reasons yeah she's a good person she's flawed but she's a good i just got really loud she's a good person (laughs) um i want to talk about again going back to like does she take the blame or does she blame other people so i'm on page 393 in the book and i think and i you know she doesn't really she kind of skirts around the issue um she does say because she's talking about 
how she understands why people want her to like take all the blame and stop talking about Comey and the Russians and fake news and all this stuff. And the political media don't want to hear about any of these. But she does say uh, at the end of that, nope. But she does have a sentence that says, their real problem is they can't bear to face their own role in helping elect Trump from providing him free airtime to giving my emails three times more coverage than all the issues affecting people's lives combined. I think that it's so easy. So now we're like, on my opinion, to be like, oh, the Democrats didn't have a message and they didn't bring people together and she just wasn't a compelling candidate. Like, it's such an easy way. You know, oh, we read the numbers wrong. The polls were wrong for every political pundit and person still talking to push the blame away from them and not have to admit that they were part of the problem. Absolutely. Like she actually ran a great campaign that could have been even more effective if they had not made this false equivalent between airtime and like, you know, Trump's pussy grabbing and her deleting 30,000 personal emails about like, you know, when some friend's mom died. Yeah, I thought that was a really fascinating insight in the book, too, that she talks about the scandals and the nature of how, you know, all of Trump's scandals, they came up and they flared up in a big firework and then there was no more story. And it just went away until the next one came up. But because of the nature of the email thing, they could keep being like, oh, there's more emails or let's dig into the details of it. And because they just could keep mining that story for coverage and ratings and clicks, it just was so pervasive and wouldn't go away, even though there's no story there. But the perception of it and having it constantly be in the zeitgeist and in the headlines, instead of any of a million policy propositions, it, it just like, they absolutely are to blame, 100%. And again, holding her up to this standard where she's like done all of these incredibly wonderful things for the country. She's so prepared. So she did one thing wrong and we got to nitpick on something. So we're like giving them both, you know, we're not picking favorites. <coughs> and then Trump, we're like, oh, you know, he didn't grab a woman's ass on camera. Like, oh, he's very presidential today. Like, <laughs> well done. Yeah. And it, I mean, I still go back to trying to understand how to move forward in politics and having someone who can be successful as a campaigner, but also be successful as a politician and a governor that can bring thoughtful, helpful legislation to the table. Because I mean, if you look at like this past election, the only thing that got covered were grandiose propositions. So mm-hmm. you've got Trump's like, I'm going to build a wall. We're going to like just, they just had to crank the volume to 11 on any policy. And I'm not going to hesitate to say policy when talking about Trump. But, <laughs> you know, whereas Hillary had these like very detailed thought out plans and you didn't hear boo about it. Whereas maybe if she like did go to the, you know, the Bernie Sanders level and was just like took said, you know, free puppies for everyone or I don't know. But like, is that what it takes to get our news media to actually talk about things of substance? Can people learn from this that you again, like going back to the whole idea of what's sexy and what's not and what sells. If people are at all self-reflective, just average people as well as like the news media. Can we not learn from this that like life isn't, you know, reality or network television it's okay 
if you are more excited by a politician's ideas and you have to take the time to read those words than you are by their delivery of the message. It's like, also what's the okay most if thing? you're not excited at all by a politician. Like, that's okay if they're just like maintaining and they've got some good ideas and they're kind of an average person. Like, that's fine. Like, not everything needs to be an extreme high or low. Yeah, I'm not excited by my garbage and recycling pickup service. No, but, but I'm every really Wednesday glad I have when they them. show up. Yeah, I'm grateful and when their truck breaks down, I realize how much that affects my daily life. So again, I want like some hard working wonk in office that knows a lot of things, that's respected in their field, that can just go forward and get things done. Yeah. And then maybe we wouldn't think every day that, you know, we're going to get back into a nuclear arms race. Like I can't even twenty seven. How is that even a conversation? I don't know. Well, <laughs> so what do we do as part of the way forward? Like, let's talk. You know, let's talk about the elephant in the room. Let's talk about the electoral college, right? Oh, so, God. the argument is that it exists so that small states still have a say. The reason, uh, and I won't get too into this. Everybody, do your own research. But the reason that it's around in the first place was actually to. It was like a workaround to help slavery stay intact. So it's like such a super racist institution in the first place. But then, so people are, you know, so all these people across America are like, hey, we have to protect like these tiny underpopulated areas. But really, we've created the situation where 78,000 voters in those swing states were able to silence 3 million voters who still like, because how that's what Hillary won the popular vote by. Mm -hmm. I, I think we're telling the story incorrectly. I mean, I know it's because maybe we, you and I have an advertising background, but instead of, I think that the story that needs to be told is, hey, let's, you know, the, the one vote, one voice. If you are a Republican in California, don't you want your vote to count? Like, let's stop using it as because traditionally, right, Democrats get screwed by the Electoral College. But there's another way to tell that story. You know, if you are if you are a conservative living in Boulder, Colorado, and you feel like your views aren't represented, so you don't even vote because you know that it's always going to land on the left. Don't you want to feel like your voice could be heard? Yeah, that's it's an interesting take. And I think. There, God, it's such a complicated issue, and I will not claim to have enough insight to really have an informed opinion. But I do agree that this idea of you know one voice, one vote makes a lot of sense. Uh, there's a really interesting article by Jason Lincoln's um, that was on HuffPost of all places, but about the perils and uh, merits of eliminating the electoral college. And you know, I think. That is the the truth to get down to it. We'll we'll link the article in the show notes, but you can't go into it because you expect one thing to happen one way or the other. I think if you're a Republican or a Democrat, your party could see massive repercussions from it. I also think third party candidates it would change quite a bit. You know that it would go from third party candidates being seen as sort of the spoiler, regardless of mm -hmm. the election, that they're stealing votes and and actually might foster an environment where third parties could thrive. But that I think the, the one insight that he has that was shocking to me is the idea of the 
litigation and recount lawsuits that at least the electoral college when it breaks down you generally get a majority win and your degrees when the electoral vote while still grand because we have millions of people voting it just opens for oh i want to recount this state i want to recount that state and potentially having elections that just are continually contested so i don't know how we get around that i mean i think Again, well, it's 2017. Well, Al Gore contested the election all the way up to the Supreme Court. Like, it doesn't always, even the current system, it doesn't always break cleanly. Yeah. And I think, again, it's 2017. And I know we're scared, even with our traditional voting system of voter suppression and hacking. But there's got to be better ways. We got have to figure out, I mean, we have the internet. We have Twitter. Like, can't there be some sort of crypto verified way for people to vote on their phones? And at the end of this article, there's a really good point that he makes. And I don't know that I agree with him, but he's like, if you want to look at archaic institutions that are hindering voters, let's look at having election day beyond this Tuesday in November. That's really hard for people that have to work. Like some people who work two jobs and why not make it a national holiday or put it on a weekend or figure out a way to just make it easier for people to vote. It should absolutely be a national holiday. And even though I know that that means that some places, you know, are still open, right? Like when I used to wait tables or work at a movie theater and stuff, those holidays, like you're still working, but you're right. Like it could take it over two days or yeah. you could, there are just so many things. And I think, that, and I know that there are mail-in ballots and stuff. Cause like, that's what I did, right? Like I didn't have to go show up anywhere to do it, but there are improvements that can be made. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I, I think to your point, though, of whether it it's the most democratic way to do it. And if we're going to say we believe in democracy and we believe that your vote counts and we believe in the power of the majority and whether that spins your way or not, I think that's the most honest way to break it down is to just have an actual representative vote based on popular vote. I would agree. But even if all of that had been done, and uh, let's pretend that Hillary didn't get, you know, screwed six ways from Sunday. Oh, well, I can't actually take that away because I think that's part of the problem. I I'm circling around the question of. Is America. You know, as progressive as we thought it was, which I think we're seeing it's absolutely not in terms of race, but are we ready for a smart, outspoken woman? To lead the country. God, I hope so. Um. It's interesting when you say we, like how, because I think our peers, and now we are of an age where we are not millennials, but we are mm -hmm. not the older establishment. We're not our parents' generation. So I think- We're that weird eight-year gap. We have a special name and now I don't remember what it I is. I don't remember <laughs> either. But I look at my peers and I feel like, yes, we are. Now, we as a country, that I don't know. And I also think that there's a breed of women that are of our peers that have come up in an age where they're more comfortable in their skin. They feel empowered being themselves and not trying to be a woman trying to be a man that I hope we are ready for, if that makes any sense. It does make sense. And I think that's the hopeful spin on that. I think the two 
places, and it is with women that I'm finding I was so discouraged are, um, well, when educated white women didn't break for her, that was floored me. Mm-hmm. Um, but also I think that when we have this like swell of young women coming up and you know, that's part of the group that was saying like, I won't vote with my vagina. Like I'm not just going to vote with her because she's a woman. Da, 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 da. And I just think you need to be aware of the struggles that came before you. Like the fact that, you know, you're wearing like jeans and you're on your cell phone and you can vote and you can have your opinions and you can walk around. And I'm not saying that things are like totally safe and equal in America for women, but, um, to turn your back on the people that blaze the trail so that you can have the life that you're living. It's so selfish and short-sighted because there, she did. She like, even when she talks about, you know, college and like, she broke down. She was of a generation that broke down so many barriers for us. And then what now we think she's not cool enough. And she talks about like that woman card, like, you know, how much of this am I allowed to say? Cause it's a big fucking deal. She opened a lot of doors for people to come in behind her. Yeah. And you wonder if, and I'm just like getting out on a hypothetical here, but you get to the, especially with the younger generation, you get to that word authenticity, right? And she talks about it a lot in this book. And it comes up again at the end when she's attending the Wellesley graduation and Mm -hmm. they bring it up as a good thing and that to be flawed is a good thing. And I wonder if there's a schism between the years that Hillary had to play the game and put on the front and play the part just to have a seat at the table and a younger generation that is so against that that they see her as inauthentic, but he can't understand or recognize that for her to get where she is and get the world where it is for this next generation, that was the price that had to be paid. Yeah, they should thank her instead of mocking her. Like, yeah. you're right. Her ability to wear a mask while still doing good work paved the way for their brazen authenticity. Yeah, and then they're you like, well, she just seems fake. You can't fake. take that away. <laughs> no. And you're like, well, Fuck no. those little girls. <laughs> yeah, so, and you know, I, I mean, I guess to your question, is America ready? I, I have to hope so. Like, I, I have to hope that gender is not a thing that is a deterrent or, I don't know, I guess in my, in my personal worldview, I can't fathom where you would, someone would say like, oh, you can't do blank because you're a woman. But I know it still happens, so I don't... Well, it just did happen. Yeah. But, I think if she was a man, that she would be president. I think she could have run the same campaign. Yeah. Hmm. I know, I box I, of worms. I, I, I think it is the box, but like you said, I mean, it's... It's the screwed six ways from Sunday, right? Like, if she was a man, she would be president. If oh, yeah, that was emails, if she had kept using her own server, she'd be president. Like, it's like that's not the only thing. It's one of the things that definitely was there, and it's interesting that she doesn't really address that in the book. Like, she doesn't mm-hmm. play the gender card at all. 
which I think she would just get murdered if she did. Yeah. But well, I want to play it for her, though, because do you like when she lists all of the people who used private servers, including fucking Mike Pence, like they're so Colin Powell, like all of these men did it and it was not a big deal when Trump was elected. I mean, his cabinet, and I'm going to say that in quotes because it's just like a bunch of monkeys in a room. They were conducting government business on their own personal unsecured cell phones. Like that is actually dangerous and nobody gives a shit. Yeah. And that's think, happening now. Well, it's because she's a target. And unfortunately, I think it's because she's a Clinton. She has history in Washington. They've been there so long that there are enemies. I mean, there are people that just by the fact of her last name, don't like her. Yeah. And But Bill Clinton was impeached and he was still president and left with a good approval rating. Yeah. Well, it's a ma- I, I, think mean, that's, it's, I think that's the difference of once you're in versus getting in. Yeah. I just feel like, and I know that I am coming from a biased position. You know, I will own that. But I feel like so many of the things that were used against her sprouted from a subconscious, whether they will admit it or not, a bunch of white men in power who just made it through eight years of a black president and they were like, fucking hell, we're not now going to vote in a woman. Let's let's sink this. Yeah. And I, I think I think we need and I hate to say this because I don't want to discount everything that Hillary's done. But in answer to your are we ready for, you know, a strong, smart, outspoken woman? I think we need someone that doesn't have the baggage. Like, I think that's the way it happens is it just, I think there were too much political and honestly, even emotional and judgmental baggage from people that have seen way too much of the Clintons private life or feel like Mm -hmm. they know too much about their private life to have an opinion on her as a person and her character, even though it's completely unfounded, but that feel like that affects their thinking about her as well versus just would she be good at the job? Yeah. So. I hope you're right. I hope if, you know, if someone like Elizabeth Warren runs or Kamala Harris or something that they suddenly aren't getting hit with this like shrill stuff because I'm jaded. The footage I'm seeing on YouTube and stuff, you know, when they're being silenced. I, I, I'm very, I hope you're right. I hope I'm wrong. I hope so too. Let's end on something more hopeful or something. Well, I guess I'm sad. I mean, I want to talk about, first of all, at the end of this book on page 444, I miss Obama. Oh, yeah. I love that whole family. Like everything about them. And I just, you know, Hillary's talking about this idea of empathy and where we go from here. And she quotes Obama's farewell address. And I want to read that here. But it's on page 444. He says, That the effects of slavery and Jim Crow didn't suddenly vanish in the 60s. That when minority groups voice discontent, they're not just engaging in reverse racism or practicing political correctness. That when they wage peaceful protest, they're not demanding special treatment, but the equal treatment our founders promised. And then, and for people of color, it means understanding the perspective of, quote, the middle-aged white man who from the outside may seem like he's got all the advantages, but who's seen his world upended by economic, cultural, and technological change. And I guess the question that I ask is, how do we practice this idea of radical empathy 
towards Trump and towards the Trump supporters that it's so easy to go, I mean, just recently, the M&M route, right? And throw up the middle finger and just say, F you, Trump. But on some level, I think we have to practice what we preach and have the empathy and the understanding for the situation that others are in. But at, like, I want to have that. And at the same time, it's really hard for me because I feel it's a fundamentally wrong point of view. And I don't feel like it's coming from the other side. Like, I love that Hillary's putting out that idea, too, of creating more empathy. But even she is like, that's her goal. But even she is struggling because I feel like there's so many people on the left that are trying to, like, wrap their heads around that Trump voter. But where are the Trump voters who are trying to wrap their heads around, you know, the other side, the, the people who are kneeling during the football games. Like, yeah. And I know that that shouldn't be right. It kind of goes back to like, you don't give a gift to get a gift. So I guess it's more of a personal way forward, but it is. But if yeah. it's in this, I mean, it feels so combative. And if you come at it with like, oh, I understand you. And they're like, oh, but I don't understand you. Fuck off. Where does that get it? Like, it doesn't make for progress. Like it doesn't make for a, a dialogue or even, uh, hey, I see where you're coming from. Here's where I'm coming from. It just keeps you separated. I agree. It actually makes me think of just like general life advice that my mom has always given me where you can't change, of course, like other people's behavior. But if you change your own behavior in a situation, it will 100% have an impact on the people around you. And I guess that gets back to this idea of exposure, right? Like, if, if these two oppos opposing viewpoints actually met, actually sat down face to face, that is a world different than seeing each other on the news or shouting at each other on message boards or comment sections. And once you're forced to reckon with each other's humanity, maybe that's where that common understanding comes from. But yeah. how do we get that to happen? I'm going to plug my... Uh Facebook group. Yes, please. So do. after the election, a friend and I were so despondent. So the first thing we did was put together a Facebook group and then we got depressed and like kind of fell off the wagon and didn't push it forward. And we're actually in the process right now of reviving it um, or populating it, I guess, to move the conversation forward. And it's called People Breaking Bread. And right now we only have a page on Facebook, but the whole idea is to get people together, have dinner, make eye contact and discuss the things that we're not supposed to talk about. So you don't have to start out, I think, at like, you know, the the thing that's hardest for you. Like, you don't have to start there. Start even by like having someone from your family over and talking through, well, that might actually be the hardest. Let me, let me change that. <laughs> uh, maybe it's just having a friend over and talking about the things that you normally skirt around. Like, you know, maybe you believe in God and your friend doesn't and you just go into just an open conversation where normally you're like, oh, we just agree to disagree. So we ignore it. Well, maybe you can agree to disagree and talk about it. So our whole thing is like, it's really difficult. Even Hillary talks about it in the book. It's difficult to hate somebody to their face. Yeah. Like people will say nasty things about her all the time, but then when they meet in public, it's like, oh, hi. Yeah. All right. You're actually a human. Yeah, so we actually did, I finally did my 
my homework from the cooking gene. So I had a dinner at my house this week where a bunch of different. Now, the unifying thing was I will own it. Everybody was uh, nobody at that table voted for Trump. Right. But that's not the only issue in our lives. We had different races and religions and sexual orientations and life views and economic statuses. And, you know, it was seven women came together, cooked, had dinner. Um, we shot some footage for it. So we're going to put together a little video for people breaking bread. But it was so soul satisfying that at the end of the dinner, um, we were all just like something special just happened here. And we're now going to continue to get together periodically. So it was a group of women who, you know, I, I threw it with a friend. And so we each pulled in people that we knew, but weren't necessarily like our, you know, nobody brought their best friend to the table. Right. Right. It was people you wanted to know more of and more about. So just getting this group together to meet and explore. And I, you know, I don't think it's overblown to say that it was a paradigm shift to have dinner with those women. And so maybe that's, that's where it starts, right? It. Is like, it doesn't have to be, you got to go find someone who's your polar opposite on the spectrum, but finding the people that are acquaintances that you've never really like dug in deeper with each other and that way it's easier to start having those conversations and maybe just in general having more dialogue and sitting down face to face and over food is always great food yeah. or drinks or whatever both I recommend um, and maybe that's where it starts and just see where it goes from there because God knows we got to do something agreed so that's my way forward eye contact body language you know and having to own the things that you say. Yeah. I'm fall prey to it too. It's really easy to whip off some answer in the comments thread of something. And then later I'm just like, why did I even open the comments? <laughs> like that is where the worst of humanity lurks. Yeah, it's a, it's a dark, dark place. <sighs> Thanks, Hillary, for writing this book. Yeah. What I mean, in the end, are you glad you read it? I am I needed some kind of uh I think it's helping me close my mourning process for what could have happened. And I know that there's a lot of work to be done in life and moving forward. And we do have Trump as our president and things aren't perfect. And, you know, it's not a time to be silent. But I think it really did help me kind of transition from feeling just sad and hopeless and overwhelmed to embracing the, okay, yeah, she's right. Like, this all happened and it sucked but a bunch of really great stuff happened too. And all we can do is keep moving forward together. Onward together. Yeah. <laughs> not, not oaf. <laughs> no, that was the best. Oh, I'm so glad somebody caught that. Yeah, that's, uh, that's why you get paid the big bucks to catch those sort of things. Well, I think that does it for what happened. Um, I mean, I guess I'll say I was glad I read it too. I think it, I learned a lot. And my biggest hope is that people who didn't vote for her would read this that the guy who posted on her facebook page pass like the yeah. people that would just read it because i think it goes beyond her and it goes beyond like her as the candidate i think there are many issues that are attacking our democracy and that people need to know about whether no matter what party you come from no matter what viewpoint you have but if you believe in a democratic system where the people choose the direction that we go. I think there are a number of things to be alarmed about that, that need to be addressed. For sure. And piggybacking on that, I think uh, 
like we talked about last week, we need some lighter fare. Oh God, yes, <laughs> is killing. We've I had am, some intense I am not, books. I'm not been a amazing. big nonfiction reader. I think between the two of us, I definitely skew more towards the fiction side of things. So the past two books of like heavy nonfiction has been it's been tough for me. I'm not gonna lie. Well, do you want to announce the new book? Yeah. So getting into some lighter fiction, our next book is Turtles All the Way Down by John Green. Yay, you guys, it's YA lit. Yay. It's YA lit and John Green is both of our one of our favorite I want to say guilty pleasures, but there's really nothing guilty about it. He's just good. He's just really good and it's not work to read him. No, it's really it's, easy. It's fun. What's going to be work is so it's a shorter book. I think it's about 300 pages. So we're going to split it into two weeks. And that's what's going to be work is to not burn through it. I think maybe we'll start it like right before we record and then finish it right after. <laughs> exactly. Absolutely. Because his are the kind of books where I usually read them in one day, one sitting. I'll read them in like a week because I'm slow, but similarly. Well, I don't know what my kids are doing, too, while I'm reading that. It's like, feed yourselves. (laughs) (laughs) You're stinky. You need a shower. Yeah. Hey, you guys, we're also going to change the format a little bit because um, right now we have been doing our best to do one podcast recording every week. And shockingly, it turns out it's like a little bit um, too much. Yeah, it's a lot of a lot of work. It's a lot of reading. And unfortunately, we don't just do this full time. So it's been. It's been a little draining, so we're switching it up a little bit. So we will now introduce a book. Um, We're basically going to just go with the one book a month. So for November, our book will be Turtles All the Way Down. Um, We're going to push it a little later in November because of Halloween. Yeah, because someone is room mom. It's me. I got (laughs) tricked. Um, So we'll do November 8th and the 15th. Our pods will go live. But from now on, we will announce the book at the, you know, just like we're doing now at the last, at the wrap up pod. And then that book will be discussed at the beginning of the next month. So we will do 12 books a year. Yeah. And that will hopefully be a little more, a little more digestible and it'll give you a little notice ahead of time. So you can plan it in your reading calendar. And yeah, I think it'll be much more sustainable and it'll be fun. So thanks for bearing with us. We're going to have a couple weeks off now. because we'll be back November 8th reading our first section, which is chapters 1 through 11, uh, pages 1 through 135 of Turtles All the Way Down by John Green. All right. I'm super excited for that. So you guys have a great Halloween. Uh, I hope you're listening to some spooky or reading some spooky, scary books like we are. And we will be back and talk to you in November. Sounds good. Everyone, have a happy Halloween. Um, And until next time, happy reading. Happy reading. Bye. Bye, guys. Oh, good. Now I'm choking. I swallowed my water wrong. (laughs) So weird when you forget how to swallow. Well, that's what I feel like when you get like the wrong tube. You know what I mean? I just always bite my tongue or my cheek or some other thing that I shouldn't be biting. I thought you meant like as a cure for when you swallow wrong. I was like, (laughs) okay. So as you said that, I like start to bite my tongue to see if it fixes it. No, it doesn't. (laughs) No, now my tongue just hurts. Aw, fail. (laughs) Uh, Now I'm choking and bleeding. (laughs) I know.